Hey, good morning. Again, let's open our Bibles, John chapter 12. We're just moving right along here, aren't we? You know, uh, I read a scripture uh, last night, and it said, uh, this applies to our uh, 5K walk. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. So you can fly. You can run or you can walk. Any one of those. I know compared to some of us, yeah, there's people that look like they're flying. They go by so quick. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a great time. And they moved it later in the year so that, that I think it won't be so cold. And that's good too, right? So where are we here today? I'm, a, I'm, I'm about a half a cog off of normal. And, uh, of course, that's not... No, what's normal anyways, right? So, uh, but let's try, to, let's try to focus here. I'm speaking to myself here. <laughs> Boy, John chapter 12, we're going to pick it up where we left off. Last time we talked in, in uh, the last part of chapter 11, where we saw there were responses that, that needed to be made or that were made. Because something radical had just happened. Lazarus had been raised from the dead, right? I mean, that's kind of a radical thing to see happen. And so people responded to that. And when you see somebody's life change, when you see something happen, you're going to, have, you're going to make some sort of response. If you saw somebody in your family whose life is completely turned around, you're going to make a response. You're either going to, you know, say, wow, I, I want what you have. Or you're going to say, you know, well, you're a Jesus freak, good for nothing. I don't want to have anything to do with you kind of thing. This is the kind of responses that we see. I don't know. Have any of you had those responses in your own family? Some of you, your friends, maybe. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, you know, if someone's life has changed for the good, for the better, why would you like reject and why would you push away? You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't make any sense. But some, we read there in chapter 11, some they put their faith in Jesus and others worked against him. You know, the matter of, of the heart, where, where's the heart at? And then, and then we saw that the high priest, who was obviously working against Jesus, he said these words, he says, you know, that uh, you do not realize in verse 50 of chapter 11, you do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He was prophesying, it said, and, and he, I don't even think he knew he was prophesying, but he was prophesying about the death of Jesus, that he would die for us. He would die in my place, in your place, for every one of us who would believe and we saw the, the picture of the, of the Passover, and uh, the scripture tells us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. He would die for you. He would die for me. Today, now, that's all kind of happened, and, and, and these things are all taking place. We're, we're coming up to the final, you know, really days of Jesus' life on the earth. And, and we come to this time in, in chapter 12 where, where Mary, who was Lazarus's sister, she anoints Jesus' feet. 
Now, there's so much that, you know, that we could talk about here, and, and I'm just going to hit some of the high points, but what we see is worship. We see humility. When you fall at someone's feet, there's humility. We see devotion. We see love, of course. There's something that's happening there. And, you know, we, we talk about worship and, and uh, we, you know, we, we play music and we call that worship. And, and, and certainly it is. But worship is much more than that, isn't it? Worship is much more than singing, you know, a handful of songs on a Sunday morning or playing, you know, them in your car or at your house or whatever. Worship is really uh, an attitude and a, and a giving of our hearts. And that's really what Mary did in this particular occasion. Now, I wondered, I was thinking about this a few minutes ago, uh, I wondered if while she was doing that, if there was music playing in heaven. I think there was. Why do I say that? Because when you read in the book of Revelation about heaven, there's music playing most of the time. There's worship that's taking place. And it's incredible. You know, speaking about heaven, I just finished reading a book uh, by Billy Graham. Any of you heard of him? <laughs> and uh, it's called Nearing Home. And, it, you know, it was like, I don't know if it was the last book he wrote, but it was probably pretty close to it. And uh, he was talking about getting home. But the very last chapter and the very last section of the last chapter, he's talking about heaven. And it was just wonderful to, you know, to, to read about that. And, you know, there's going to be no more you know, disease, no more addiction, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more disappointment, all the things that we face in this life. That's what we have to look forward to. And, you know, he was, he was talking about it, you know, he had lost his wife a few years earlier, and, you know, he was like, I think he was 92 when he wrote the book. Man, if I could do anything at 92 like what he wrote, I mean, it's like an amazing book. <laughs> But he was looking forward to heaven. He, he, he had offered his life to the Lord as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and God used him. And, and so we see here, uh, Mary, she's offering herself to the Lord Jesus as well. And, and I think, I think I want to say this before we start, is that I think she gave him her very best. She gave him everything. She gave him all that she had. That's what I think. You'll see why in a minute. Chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover. So again, we're coming up to this last, uh, this last, we're in this last week now, the last days. Jesus arrived at Bethany. He went back to Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. And, and look what it says. He arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus was alive there. Lazarus was, you know, a living proof of what Jesus could do and what Jesus did. Lazarus was there. One interesting thing uh, uh, I'll mention in passing, this last week before the cross, really, uh, you know, uh, the gospel writers, they take up huge sections of their writing to deal with this, this last week. Why? Because it's so important. Uh, John takes up almost 50%. Mark takes up almost 40%, Matthew 33%, and Luke 25%. It's kind of a, a, gra a graduating thing. But, but John, he, he felt it was so important. He, almost the whole gospel, he talks about the last uh, week of Jesus' life. 
That's pretty powerful if you ask me. You can go ahead and ask me if you want to. Verse 2. Here, a dinner was served, or dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. So they're having this dinner, and a, and a dinner was given. It said in Jesus' honor, it's like they gave it, they, they organized this, and they put it together. Uh, when you read, there's, there's actually two other accounts in Matthew and in Mark which deal with what happened here. There's one other account in Luke, which I believe is a different occurrence with a different person, different situation. But when you read about it, we find that this took place actually in someone who was called Simon the leper. Simon the leper. So they're now having a feast in the house of Simon the leper, but it's to honor Jesus, it's to give him credit. Why? What had he he done? Well, He raised Lazarus from the dead. We already established that fact. But they think, too, that it's possible that he also healed Simon from leprosy. Why else would they all gather at this man Simon's house, right? So they're they're there to give him honor, and and, and they're, they're serving him. He's the guest of honor. They serve him a meal. You kind of have to kind of picture what's going on here. And and. What I was wondering about, you know, is, is you and I in our lives, how do we honor Him? Do we ever do anything special to honor Him just for what He's done in my life, in your life? They had this meal. It says that Martha served, Lazarus was among those reclining at table, and they didn't have tables like you and I do today. They had a, a kind of a, 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 a low, really low thing in the middle, and they would all kind of recline around this table. I was going to bring a picture, but I forgot. So they're around this table, and, they're, and so they're, they're kind of stretched out, and, and their feet would be kind of out, you know, fanning out as they go around this table, if you can kind of picture that. So Mary, it says in verse 3, it says she took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What a beautiful picture, isn't that? Mary, you know, she took this perfume very expensive the word literally means extremely valuable later in the account of verse 4 it says that it was worth a year's wages a whole year's wages now that was not easy to come by why was it so expensive they they say that this particular perfume was made from a plant that was grown in india now they're in they're in israel so obviously it was imported right from very a very great distance. They didn't have ships that sailed. They didn't have airplanes, anything else. So that's what made it so expensive. Some people think that it might have been her whole life savings that she went and poured out upon, upon Jesus. Warren Wearsby points out that like David, King David, Mary wouldn't give to her Lord that which cost her nothing. It's no good to give Jesus something that you didn't, you know, that, that didn't cost you anything. What good is that? That's like regifting, right? He, 
It, it says in 2 Samuel, you know, that David, uh, you know, he was making this arrangement with somebody for a, for a piece of property and a place to, to make an offering. And the, the man wanted to give it to David. But David said this, he said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. He said, I'm not going to offer to the Lord my God something that, that didn't cost me anything. You know, what do we have to offer him? I think we need to think about that. And, and you know, this isn't about money. I just want to make that clear. Now, some people might teach this passage and they, then they take up a special offering afterwards. It's all about giving your money. It, could money be included in it? Absolutely, obviously. But, but it's really more about, about an attitude of heart. It is going to cost me something. It, might, it, it, it means so much to me. I'm willing to give him everything that I have. The very best that I have. In Mark chapter 14 account, it says this, that she did, Jesus said, she did what she could. She did what she could. That means, that means you, you know, for you and I, it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to all do the same. She did what she could. You and I do what we can do. What is it that you and I have to offer? I think of the, the, the boy, you know, who had the the, the loaves and the fish, right, who came. It, it wasn't much. But what did Jesus do with it? He multiplied it. He made it into something. He fed, you know, thousands of people with a little offering that he brought, a little gift that he brought to, to the Lord. She did what she could. She gave her best. It happened to be very expensive and, and worth a lot, but, but to her it didn't matter. It was something that she realized, you know, uh, I can do something special. This is something that, that, that will, will bless him and, 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 and that I can do out of love and devotion and honor and worship. It says that she poured it on Jesus' feet. Now, it, it was a, a common custom when a, when a guest entered your house, what would they do? First thing, they would wash your feet, right? And then the next thing... Uh, that some would do, they would anoint the head with oil. They wouldn't pour a whole bunch. They would probably just a dab, you know, to anoint the head with oil. When we combine, Warren Wearsby pointed this out, when you combine all three accounts, you, you see that actually Mary anointed both his head and his feet. Because the other accounts say she anointed his head. And here we see... She anointed his feet. They're both true. There's no discrepancy there. She anointed both his head and his feet. But this was an act of pure love. Uh, he said this, that it was spontaneous. It was public. It was sacrificial. It was lavish. It was personal. It, it was unembarrassed. She didn't care what anybody thought. That's kind of getting back to responses to, you know, what people think about our lives. You know, am I going to worship? Am I going to be committed to Jesus no matter what people think? Am I going to give to him from my life, from my, my all, my resources, my time, my energy? Am I going to do that 
even if people might think I've gone too far? Because that's what we're going to see happens here. You've gone too far. People are going to think that about you if you, if you, uh, you know, are committed to Jesus, no matter what. They're going to think you've gone too far. You've gone over the edge. One of my brothers, I still remember, he thinks that about me. He thought that about me. He's passed away now. But one of my other brothers said to me, you know, early on, he said to me, you know what? There's something about your life. I want what you have. People are going to respond differently, but do we, do we do what we do to get a response from people? Or do we do it because we love Jesus and we don't care? Are you afraid to pray in a restaurant because, you know, you always pray before your meal, but to do it in a restaurant, oh, I can't do that. Somebody might see me. Yeah, maybe they will. Maybe they'll think twice about their lives and what's going on with them. Maybe you have a Bible and you're afraid to show it that you have a Bible. I read in Psalm 119, it says, you know, that the Bible is so sweet. It's sweeter than honey. The, the your words are, are the sweet to my taste. So sweet to my taste. How sweet, he says. She poured it on his feet publicly, unembarrassed. Mary, now we know this, Mary spent a lot of time at Jesus' feet, it seems. That seems to be where she was. In Luke chapter 10, we read it, she sat at his feet and she listened to what he said. In the last chapter we looked at, she, it says that she fell at Jesus' feet and she surrendered to him. She said she just lost it. She surrendered to him there. And now here we see, him, uh, see her at his feet anointing them and honoring him. I think there's a, a pretty good example in the life of Mary for you and I. Now, is that the only example? No, we're going to finish with that. We really see three different examples here in the lives of Mary, Martha, and Joseph, or excuse me, Joseph and Lazarus. So Mary, she takes this perfume, perfume, she pours it, it says here, on his feet, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that the woman's glory is her hair, her hair is her glory. So there's something that's going on here. There's something that's so powerful here, and it, it wouldn't normally be that somebody would do that, that a woman would unbind her hair and do that in public, but she, again, did not care. I love Jesus. I love this person, Jesus. And when she did that, when she did that, what happened? It says there in the, the end of verse 3. I love this picture. It says, The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled. The, the, this, this fragrance filled the whole house. It spread, didn't it? That's something about fragrance, right? You, you, you have a little bit, but, but when you break that free, you take it out of the jar, what happens? It, you know, people walk by and you go, wow. Now, maybe it's not a good wow because, you know, you buy the cheap stuff. <laughs> or maybe it's really the expensive stuff, right? I remember my mom used to wear this perfume called My Sin. Now, I don't know why it's called My Sin. I can't speak to that. 
But it says here the house was filled with a fragrance. And I think it, because of what it was, because of the, 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 the value of it, because of the, the nature of this particular perfume, this fragrance, it was beautiful. It was glorious, I think. That's why I hear the, 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 the strings playing in heaven. And the house is full of, of this fragrance. And, but it's not just the fragrance, is it? Something else is going on here. What else is filling the house here? This fragrance of worship, this fragrance of love and, and honoring of Jesus is filling the house. I had, I had to ask the question, and, and that's what we do when we, when we read the Bible. We have to ask questions. Well, what does that mean? And, 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 and what is it saying there? And then, and then like, how, does, how could that possibly apply to me? What about my house? Am I honoring Jesus there? And the, and the fragrance of that love and devotion is filling the whole house? It's not just about fragrance, right? We don't do a lot of fragrances at our house. I'll I'll, I'll say that. The reason is my wife is allergic to most fragrances. Okay? So, therefore, we don't. So, I'm not going to go home and pour out a bunch of expensive perfume in my house because she's going to freak out. But if my house is a house of devotion and love and, and honor, that spreads throughout the house. There's something that's going on in that house, you see. Is that something that's going on in our homes, in our houses? Someone said this, there's always something beautiful and fragrant about what we do out of love. Beautiful and fragrant out of what we do out of love. There was just love. She just loved Jesus, and, and it came out, and it filled the whole house. So, so you could say, you know, if we stopped right there, we could say, wow, that is so incredible and so wonderful, right? And, and how could anybody say anything against that? How could anybody do anything against this outpouring of love and devotion? But is that the case? I mean, you've heard the story before, most of you. You know what is going to take place here. But in our lives, too, are we ever going to face attack and, and criticism just by, by virtue of, of our own devotion and love? Look at verse 4. It says there, but, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, he objected. He objected. He's speaking out now. You know, isn't it true when things, something, sometimes when things are going so well, things are so wonderful, you've just had this incredible experience, and then, and then somebody says something, and you go like, oh. Right? Has that ever happened to you? Verse 5, what does he say? He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to, to what was put into it. This guy was a thief. And the, and the Greek word is, I find interesting is klepto. That's where we get our word kleptomaniac, right? He was a thief, and it means to take things for personal gain. You wonder, though, he, he was like the treasurer. He had, you know, access to all the funds, and I think he must have put up a pretty good front, right? He didn't go around saying, well, I'm going to take what I want out of there. He kept a pretty good front. And sometimes we keep a pretty good front too, don't we? But you know, the truth always comes out. The truth came out in his case. We read about it here. It came out because John wrote about it. It came out. The truth will always come out. But this attitude, this attitude that he had. One thing I want to mention, though, is... is, is Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' own disciples. And so you have this incredible worship that, that just took place. And where does the attack and the criticism come from? It comes from within. Not from outside, not from, you know, those other people. One of his very own. Now, you could say, well, that, you know, Judas's heart wasn't with the Lord, and we, we know that, and that's true. And, but, but the fact of the matter is he was, he was part of that circle of disciples. But David Guzik points this out, you know, that Judas thought this was way too much love and devotion to show to Jesus. It's too much. Isn't it all a little bit too much? Has is, is, is anybody said that to you? Isn't it, isn't it a bit much? You, you go to church every Sunday? Isn't that a bit much? You know, what about during the summer? It's beach time. You go to Bible study? You, you, you read your Bible every day? Isn't that a bit much? You know, I read it once. I read a verse once. That's enough? Isn't it a bit much to be devoted to Jesus? Isn't it a bit, you know, over the top to, to give him, to, to, you know, to put, to put money in the offering box? You know, you don't need to do any of that. You know what? That's true. You don't need to do anything. Mary did not do any of these things because she had to. She did it because she wanted to, because she loved Jesus, pure and simple. But Judas thought it was way too much. And the interesting thing about it is that attitude was contagious. Our bad, our bad attitudes are contagious. You know, when, when we start to get together and, and pick on somebody and talk about people, that stuff is contagious. Why do I say that? Because in the other two accounts, it shows us clearly that the other disciples were infected by that. In Matthew, it says the disciples were indignant. In Mark, it says they rebuked her harshly. They, not just Judas. So he makes this statement and they all go, oh yeah, yeah, like why are you doing all this? They rebuked her for what she did. Again, these are Jesus' own disciples. That's like crazy. But... Bad attitudes, they spread. 
We've got to be careful of the things that we allow to come out of our mouths, mouths because they will affect the people around us. They will. People who are trying to follow Jesus and we're saying, well, yeah, did you notice the, you know, the pastor, you know, did you see what he did? You know, he, he got lost in the middle of that song back there. You know, and, and you know, he really, he really says weird things. And, and sometimes, you know, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. And then we all start talking about him. And then we have a dinner, but it's not in his honor. It's to, to have roast pastor for lunch. <laughs> have you ever done that? None of you would admit it anyways, even if you wanted to. David Guzik said, watch out, it was probably through greed and discontent that the devil gained a foothold in Judas's life. Greed and discontent. Someone else said, take heed of discontent. It was the devil's sin that threw him out of heaven, which is true. He couldn't be satisfied with what he had in heaven, and he had a glorious place there. Judas couldn't be satisfied with, with following Jesus and being one of his 12 disciples. He, had to, he, he went off the edge. Isn't it a bit much what Judas did? Not what Mary did. Take heed of discontent. So Jesus speaks up. We always need to wait for what Jesus has to say in a situation, right? What does he say in verse 7? He says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. He's talking to his disciples, these ones that are indignant with her, the, the ones that are rebuking her harshly, that are picking on her. Leave her alone. I think sometimes he tells us that. Would you just leave that person alone? Let, let me deal with him or her. And God will, is faithful to do that. I've seen it. But he goes on to say it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. She was going to save this perfume for the day of my burial. You know, some think, and it's probably true, she's, you know, Jesus said those words, he's saving this perfume for the day of my burial. It's probably true that, that she was the only one who really understood what he had been saying up to this point. Because he had been saying that he was going to die. That he was going to be buried. He was talking about the cross. He said it. And, and you remember even Peter one time, uh, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Don't talk like that. You, you know, you're not going to be killed. No, we're going to take over. We're going to, you know, we're going to rise up and, 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 and make Rome, you know, pay for everything they've done. We're going to set up your kingdom right here, right now. Jesus said, no, I'm going to die on the cross. And if Mary was this one who sat at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said, would he have possibly talked about that? I think so. Maybe of all those there, she was the only one that knew that, that the time was coming. She could sense it, that, that Jesus was going to be crucified soon, that he was going to be buried. 
that he was going to rise from the dead. He, he talked about being the resurrection and the life to her, right? To Martha and then through Martha to her. She saved this perfume for the day of my burial. You know, getting back to this idea of, you know, that it was a waste. Was it wasted? No, not at all. When you think about the cross, right, you think about what he did for us. Was it wasted? In fact, there's no comparison the, the value of what he has done for us and, and that the value of that perfume, that little bit of perfume, there's, there's no comparison. One man said this, nothing is too valuable to give to Christ. He is worthy of everything we have and are. He is worthy of everything we have and are. Verse 8, Jesus said, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Was Jesus saying, Don't take care of the poor? Of course not. There were, he was saying there are, there are always opportunities, there will always be opportunities to help those, those that are in need. Always. But this opportunity to worship here, right there and right now, in that situation, that was a one-time situation. A one-time opportunity. You know, uh, we, we never know when our last opportunity is to worship. We don't know. We don't know. I ran into somebody uh, in the store yesterday. Uh, some of you know uh, her. Uh, her name is Gail Johnson. And her husband's name is Wayne. If you remember Wayne and Gail? And, you know, these folks were a blessing to us. When we, 20 years ago now, when we had to move out of our house, uh, the, the landlord had, had given the house to his daughter and we had to move out. We had nowhere to go. Wayne and Gail took us into their home, let, let us live in their basement apartment, and we lived there for six months until they finally said, okay, find a place. <laughs> But we did find a place. We found the house where we moved into and we've been there now for 20 years. These people were a blessing to us. And, and, and I had heard that something had happened to Wayne a few years back. And, and I said, so how's Wayne? And she said, oh, and she got, she got uh, emotional. And, and, and she said, Wayne died two years ago. And, and, and previously, you know, a couple years before that, he had had an aneurysm and, 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 and he had survived this aneurysm and, and was doing well. But then it came that he had cancer in the, in the throat and es es esophagus. You do not know. We don't know what, what kind of opportunities we have. We don't know if this today is our last opportunity to worship together as a fellowship, as a body, with your, with your brothers and sisters, some of your family members. You don't know. Jesus would be dying soon. She probably would not have another opportunity to do what she did. You don't know. To, to, to even sing and to worship, you know, we, we, 
we say, well, you know, I'll do that. You know, I'll worship the Lord. You know, I'll sing, uh, you know, later, you know, when I get older, when this happens, when that happens, I'll, I'll offer him more of my time or my resources. You know, I'll, I'll do those things, but not now. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm kind of, when is the, the right time going to be for us? For her, it was right then. He says, you won't always have me. You will not always have this same opportunity that you have right now. This same exact gathering of people in this room today will never occur. I can guarantee you that. The same exact number, same exact people that are here today. Maybe there's a chance that it could happen. But I don't think there is, you know, one in a billion chance that the exact number of people Sitting, let me add this, sitting in the exact same seat that you're sitting in right now. Make it a little more difficult. <laughs> wearing the same exact shirt that you're wearing right now. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to listen and, and to ask ourselves. You may not be in church again, ever again, but, but ask yourself... Is there anything too valuable in my life that I would not give to Jesus Christ? He is worthy of everything we have and are. He's, worth, he's worthy of all my life to give to Him everything. Or am I going to hold back forever? That's, that's, that's what I'm, I'm talking about here, this opportunity. You know, we don't know. And I'm not doing that just to kind of freak you into doing something, you know, that you don't want to do. I'm just saying that's what Jesus is saying here. You don't, you don't always have the same opportunities. Let's finish up. Verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Many of them were going to him. A large crowd, they found out that Jesus was there. They wanted to see him, but they also wanted to see this man Lazarus who'd been raised from the dead. The Jews here, they, they said, we got to get rid of the evidence we got to get rid of Lazarus, too. They already had plans to what? Get rid of Jesus. Now they have plans to get rid of Lazarus. we got to get rid of him, too. we got to get really get rid of anyone that might possibly affect people around them to give their lives to Jesus as well. We don't hear, at least that they were ever successful in that. It's possible, though. But we do know that millions of Christians have been killed starting in those early days. Millions upon millions of Christians have been killed to try to stop Christianity. It's a fact. Okay, this is not, you know, we, we're, we're sometimes so isolated and insulated in our, you know, nice little churches here in America. We don't know that people are being killed today because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Talk about 
willing to do something publicly. But have they been successful in stopping Christianity? Absolutely not. So let's think now as we, as we wrap this up, we, we really see three different people. We see Lazarus here, we see Mary, and we see Martha. Lazarus, we don't have any recorded words of what Lazarus said. We don't know, maybe he, he, he just was a quiet type. But the fact of the matter is, his very life, was affecting the people around him. Is that true? They came, they wanted to see Lazarus. Why? Because he was alive. Not because he, you know, was this great public speaker. He was, he just was. Right? He was alive. That's all it was. So he was witnessing with his very life that he had life within him and and his very life itself was a witness. And people, it says, because of him, Verse 11 says that for an account of him, that is on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So, so Lazarus just, he, he was like this quiet witness, but he had a very powerful message. His life, he was given life. He was dead, but now he's alive. And that's a message you and I, every one of us who are born again Christians have. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Martha... On the other hand, what was, her, what was her thing? What does it say in this passage we read about Martha? It says she served. Now, we read about that in, in, in Luke, right? And, and Martha, you know, she got a little bit upset with her sister, you know. Why? Jesus, you know, you got to tell Mary to help me. She's making me do all the work and all that. But here, she's still serving. But I think her attitude has changed. She doesn't say, she, you know, she's not one of those getting indignant and, you know, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, Mary should be up helping me. No, it just says she served. She did what she could do. She did what she could. And Mary, we've just looked at that. Mary, she worshiped, she gave what she had. Someone said each one of them, they were true to their personalities. I think that's true. You and I, we're all different. Thank God for that, right? You and I are all very different, but each of us need to be true to our own personalities and to who we are and to give what you and I each have. From my life, from your life, each of us has a part. Each of us has, we're we're part of the body of Christ. And we, each of us needs to, to be faithful with what we have, with who we are. I can't be you and you can't be me. Thank God for that, right? But we need to take that little thing that we have or whatever it is that we have and, and just offer it up and, 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 and give the very best that we have and, and offer it to, to our Savior Jesus because of all that, that He's done for us. And you know what? I said this about Judas, that it was contagious. This is also contagious. A heart that's worshiping is contagious as well. 
a heart that's surrendered and giving, a heart that's serving, a heart that's witnessing, those things are contagious as well. But let's be true to who you are. Be the very best you that you can be. I heard someone talking about that, a football player. He said, I'm just trying to be the very best, and he said his name, that I can be. I'm just trying to be the very best Richard Chapman that I can be. That's all I can do. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we, we come in, in uh, this quiet moment, this time before you, and we want to just talk to you, Lord, and, and offer ourselves to you, a fragrant perfume of worship that it would fill our houses, that it would fill this house. As we worship you, as we honor you, as we, as we give to you our very lives, our very all. Father, forgive us for the times where we've, we've been shy and embarrassed, Lord, but, but you call us to die to ourselves and live for you. Father, I, I pray for each person in this room, Lord. It's a very unique day today, a very unique time, a very unique opportunity. I pray for each person that, that, they, would, that they would know where they stand with you. Maybe you need to get something right with him right now. Maybe, maybe you've been going off the rails. You need to get your life back together, back right. Or maybe you've been holding back. Maybe, maybe you need to say, Lord, that's it. I, I, I just got to follow you no matter what. Maybe there's someone here that has never surrendered to Jesus. And, and today, you can surrender and just fall at his feet and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. You love me. I want to receive that love. I want you in my heart and my life today. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Oh, Lord, we honor you this morning. Hear our cries. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand and sing together, shall we?